morning. morning. Uh, This morning we are going to begin a series that we have dubbed A Word to the Nuns, okay? Now, not the flying nuns for some of you that are a little older in your generation, but a look at what the people, what the Bible has to say to the people of our generation when it comes to their shifting beliefs, if you would, and and I explain that and unfold that for you. So this series really came out of a conversation between Drew and myself and a man named Ken Eidelman. He's a friend of mine. He was a preaching professor and the president of my alma mater, Ozark Christian College. And when we were talking with him through this pa- in this past fall about um, just a, a preaching calendar and some things that really made sense, he really challenged us to address this growing pushback against God and against the church that we find in society um, through an adaptation of just some messages that deal with these words to the nun. So when I, when I say nun, like you've ever been admitted to a hospital, okay, if you have um, helped someone fill out those forms, you'll know there's a place on them that talks about religious preference. And you can mark a whole bunch of things, and one of the things you can mark is the word nun. Okay, so that's kind of the basis of it. People who have no preference or people who are not affiliated with any church or group um, religiously. Okay? Or for some of you, like those who don't want us to know you're in the hospital and don't want to visit from the preacher. You, you mark none, so they won't let us know. But aside from those of you who are just a little bit defiant, okay, the other people in our society, those are the nuns, if you would. Um, part of this ever-increasing group of Americans um, who don't identify with faith in general or any faith group in particular, or their faith is just characterized by nothing in particular. Now, not a lot of charts and graphs for the series, but let me just give you two pictures that will help frame this a little bit for you, catch you up on what has been going on in our country. Because if it's going on in our country, it's also going on in our community. Okay? And for a number of us, it's also going on in our families, and so it's very relevant. So this first chart will tell you that the religious nuns, if you would, um, that they, those that aren't affiliated with any group in particular, okay, maybe we don't have that chart, <laughs> okay? We're having a couple of technical problems this morning. Um, so that chart, there you go, to the bottom uh, right, almost, that group that says unaffiliated, the religious nuns, okay? These are the people who, um, again, don't, uh, don't associate with any group. Notice they're, they're 23% roughly, and notice they are larger than any other group on that chart short of the evangelical Protestants, which is about the same, and what is... Uh, what the chart won't tell you is that every group on there, short of this group, has been either declining or plateauing for a number of years. This particular group has been increasing over the last 40 years. And they are the fastest growing group on the chart, those religious nuns, if you will. Now the next chart is going to break it down that also ought to be a little alarming to us. 
Uh, specifically, you may or may not be able to read that bottom line. It breaks it down by age group, and it will tell you that of those 65 and older, only 9% of those um, are in this religious nun group, or about 1 of 10. But if you drop down to those that are age 50 to 64, that number goes up to 19%, or nearly 1 in 5. If you drop it down to those who are in the age group of 30 to 39, 37%, 18 to 29, 35%. So for those who are age 18 to, say, 49, nearly one in every three people fit into this particular group. And that's scary. And it has uh, implications about those of us who aren't in that group and our success or our ability to pass faith along from generation to generation and ought to raise some, some alarms. Now, I, I put the website on the sheet that you got coming in this morning on your sermon notes, so you can go through that more thoroughly yourself. It just kind of sets um, a landscape for us. Now, that first chart that had the different breakdown of the, of the nuns will tell you they're broken down into three groups. The first group are the atheists, okay? Roughly 3% of people who say, I don't believe God exists. Okay? The second group would be the agnostics. Okay? Roughly 4% of people who, who say, I can't know if God exists. And the alarming part is the 16%, by far the majority of that whole group that basically say, I don't care if God exists. Now... Um, these apatheists, okay, that third group, um, apathy being the, the key word in there, right? Um, now, they might say, I'm just not a spiritual person. Or they might say, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a religious person. Okay? Either way, like we have a problem. And this series, by the way, I mean, this is a series where you got to engage with your brain. We, we've been... Uh, working through some very emotional passages the last few weeks in Scripture. We talk about the, the passion and the cross and the resurrection and all of those pieces. This piece, I want you to engage with your mind for me, if you would. So if you're tracking with me, it all makes sense. If I lost you somewhere along the line because you're like, I'm not a graph or chart person, that's okay. Come back with me here and tune in because um, I want to look at these things in light of what the Apostle Paul had to say to the nuns of his generation, okay, to the people with similar spiritual struggles. So turn in your Bible or your Bible app to Acts chapter 17. Okay, if you don't have a Bible with you in the chair in front of you, grab one of those Bibles. It's page 1097. Okay? Now, Paul's words are going to apply most specifically to that group that are referred to as atheists, meaning those that don't believe God exists. But let me set the context for Acts chapter 17. Okay, Paul is on his second missionary journey, and he is waiting in what was the cultural epicenter, the city of Athens, Greece. He's waiting for Timothy and Silas to come. And Athens, or ancient Athens, okay, this is this world-renowned place known for uh, education, specifically known for philosophy. So he's in a city that had um, well-known people associated with it that we would even know, people like Plato 
and Socrates and Aristotle, these ancient philosophers. But it was also a place that was filled with a lot of superstition. One ancient historian said there were, there were 30,000 idols distributed throughout the city. Okay, so Paul enters Athens with open eyes, but with a broken heart, because he didn't come as a sightseer, he came as an evangelist with a passion that he had, a love for the lost, this commitment to the truth of God. And so he, he starts preaching, and he would have preached at some different places related to the Jews, but also at some places related to the city of Athens. So he would have gone on this hill, this Areopagus is what it was called. It was this elevated hill where people gathered to talk about the things of the day, impromptu assemblies, if you would. It was in the shadow of that right picture of the Parthenon, which was this temple that was dedicated to the, these non-existent Greek deities of the day. Okay, now... When I try to capture what might happen on this left hill, you see people up on top of that hill, people below. So maybe in our terms, if you think about putting together in the same room commentators from CNN and Fox News, or CNN and Fox News, whichever way it looks like, and PBS, all in the same room and say, tonight we're going to have an open mic night. <laughs> Imagine the chaos, confusion, confrontation, and a few other words that we might describe that as. That's kind of what's taking place here. Whatever is new, whatever is thought about, whatever some people might consider worthless, the philosophies of the day, and, and Acts 17 describes those present as being the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. Again, just background, the Epicureans were atheists. They denied that God existed. Okay? They didn't believe in the afterlife. As a result, they lived self-indulgent lives in pursuit of wealth and pleasure. Okay? Most of us know modern-day Epicureans, right? <laughs> and then there were the Stoics. The Stoics were also atheists. They believed not that God created man, but that man created gods. Okay? Their passive kind of approach to life was just accept it because you can't change it. And we all know some Stoics and maybe even have been in our life through a period where we are a little bit more Stoic about life or maybe we're that way today. Okay? All I'm saying is that the audience parallels today's nuns. And this is what Paul speaks to them beginning in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. He says, while Paul, it says, this is Luke writing, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remark, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. 
All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Hence, the characterization of news and talk radio. <laughs> okay? So this, to this group of religious, in some cases, uh, even spiritual, in some cases, to these nuns who didn't even know about Jesus, Paul is going to make a connection between something they do know and something that he desperately wants them to know, or more particularly, someone that he desperately wants them to know, and that is Jesus. Okay. Now, and he begins by sharing with them this. Connecting with God is about more than religion. Okay? It's a relevant message in our day. Paul picks it up in 17, verse 22. It says, Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Okay? So Paul notes that they are very religious. In our day, the, the more prevalent term is that they're very spiritual, in quotes. It, it was in vogue then, just like it is in vogue today. Okay? And certainly, a person can be spiritual, but not be close to God. Now, spirituality has been exploited through the ages, okay? by selfish agendas, a manipulation of people, certainly through religion, through cults, through a drug culture, through an environmental movement at times, and even including some so-called churches, just this mass manipulation potential. I think Jesus would actually be in agreement with the nuns today those who reject organized religion that has digressed into ceremony and ritual and routine and form without any real content or any real connection to God. Jesus would not like that either. I mean, some religions exist that are in stark contrast to the relationship that God desires. Okay? Um, it reminds me of um, the story of a little boy on Sunday morning. He went to church, and it went really good for him. And that night as he's kneeling by his bedside and saying his prayers, he said, Dear God, we had a good time at church today. I sure wish you could have been there. Religion without God is empty. Right? And Jesus strongly confronted the Jewish religious leaders. We've been through a whole series on that. Who um, They just advocated this religion. They even substituted religion for a relationship with God. We see God's original intent. Like if God could have it his way, what he desired in a relationship with people, look back to the garden when he created the world. And the intimacy that he shared with Adam and with Eve. 
Think about the vision John gives us in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, an intimacy that we will experience one day ourselves. John sees a vision in that vision. It says, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. Okay? Listen, don't miss the real thing. <laughs> Closeness to God, a relationship with God. That's God's intention. Religion, I mean, religion doesn't make us acceptable to God. Religion doesn't save us. Religion doesn't take your sin away. Religion will never satisfy our souls. Only Jesus does that. And as long as God remains unknown to us, we are missing the very reason that we were created for. Not religion, but a relationship with God. That was his desire all along, and I fear that the reason that the nun population is growing and that they often struggle with unbelief today is because they have not witnessed the transformation of a life that has been impacted by the love of God, God's love, like a real relationship, actually being close to him changes a person when we talk about a disciple like a real follower of god how god has in mind it's not just someone who knows jesus or someone who follows jesus but also someone who has been changed or transformed in their life by him and someone who is on mission with him and when people witness and they ultimately experience that transformation that god offers it changes their minds and it changes their hearts. And yet that all sounds rather subjective. Okay? And certainly we live in a very subjective religious culture these days. And so Paul is going to give them some substance and remind them that connecting with God is, braced, is, is based on embracing the truth about him. Okay? It's not just how it makes you feel. It's not just observations you see. Look what he says there in verse 24. He's preaching, and we're, we're breaking up his sermon, but he didn't break it up. So this is what he said next. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, as the Parthenon is sitting right in the shadow of this. And, he says in verse 25, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. I'd love to camp out on that, but we're not going to do that this morning. Paul has walked them across this faith bridge, if you will. Okay? And he hones in on this message, like you have all these gods and there's one you don't know about, let me tell you about that one you don't know about the one who's separate from all of these little g-gods that you have and the one that was embraced by the nuns of his days there's three truths he gives them here that are important not just for them but for us for our own lives personally and for those that are the nuns in our life to understand and the first is this god made everything i mean if you get this one right then you're likely going to get everything else right as well I mean, this is what makes everything else make sense. God is the originator of life. He is the creator. He is the designer of everything. 
all of us um, eventually in life will find ourselves wrestling with critical questions at some point in our lives, even looking for answers in our world if we don't find them first in God. Science has tried to answer the question, where did I come from? Philosophy tries to answer the question, why am I here? Theology grapples with the question of where am I going? Yet it's only the scriptures, the word of God, that answers all three of these questions clearly, truthfully, and authoritatively. And I completely understand that it's controversial and that we would have a mixed group here, but I just want to ask honestly, like, can any thinking person seriously believe that this universe was birthed out of nothing and somehow was was ordered by accident like that's not why people ultimately resist god ultimately people resist god because they don't want to be accountable to him that's the bigger issue now Paul also wants to tell them truth number two, and that is this. God is self-sufficient. Here's how Paul writes it. He says, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Okay? God is complete in, ourself, in, in himself. He, he doesn't need our validation. He doesn't even need our affection. Does God love us? Absolutely. Does God need us? Absolutely not. The next phrase in Paul's message, it just impresses this other truth about God. While, while he doesn't need us, we have needs that he can meet. And he meets all of them according to this third truth where Paul says that God gives life to mankind. Okay? Again, he says that God himself, he himself give everyone life and breath and everything else. Okay? God is the giver and sustainer of all life. God is the giver, Scripture says, of every good and perfect gift. And if you believe these truths, it puts you in a position that allows you the choice to be close to Him. And Paul goes on to tell the nuns of his day that God has always been, His intention has always been to... um, Connect with us. Right? Connecting with God, that's always been his intent. Again, in his sermon as it continues, verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. He said, in what what sense, what logic would tell you that that rock, that that gold idol, that that silver craftsmanship thing is somehow a God? Paul says, God in love. And in wisdom, he's made himself accessible to us. He wants us to seek him. 
He wants us to reach out for him, and he wants us to find him. Paul says that he's not far from any one of us. In fact, the truth is, Scripture tells us he made the first move towards us. He has revealed himself to us. He has sought us. He has pursued us. And I think most of us, if we just, like when you take a step back, you would, you would say, yes, that's true. I've talked to many um, nuns, okay, or nuns in progress that talk about how they feel like, and, and many who have, who have gone through that and, and embraced God, that talk about during their prodigal runs, right, those times of rebellion, during their rebellious choices, their, their prideful failures, during their sin-filled detours that they felt God in pursuit of them. That they moved farther and it's as if God moved with me, still calling me, still drawing me to himself. And yet God desires that that be both ways. God desires that we seek after him and that we reach out for him. In fact, he said to his people in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And he said to James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James, and he said what many of us have found to be true when he says in James chapter 4, verse 8, come near to God, and God will come near to you. And then finally, one more word. The preacher without the invitation is just incomplete, right? And so Paul's drawing everything to a head, and he's going to tell them last, the connection with God starts with humility. Okay, look at verse 30. Paul's concluding, and he says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And this is where the blood pressure starts to rise. This is where the hair on the back of the neck starts to stand up just a little bit straighter and where the cordial demeanor tends to leave and where the Epicurean and the Stoic and the Prodigal And the nun, well, this is where they get turned off. I mean, how do you change this? If God is indeed sovereign creator, originator, sustainer of life, then that makes him superior to all others. That makes him highest in rank. makes him the the owner of all authority, that, that he's the boss. And whatever he says goes. And this is what he says goes. And yet, goodness, there's so many different ideas in our time and our world about heaven and how people get there. And I mean, I've been through more than my share of funerals, right? And it's easy when someone loved Jesus and gave their life to him and has the hope of heaven. It's a little more difficult when someone wasn't quite sure when they're on their prodigal run and when they're struggling And it's really challenging when someone just doesn't know Jesus at all. And we don't talk about heaven and we don't talk about eternity and we talk about what a life they live because the weight and the sadness 
of what it would be like to talk about eternity in light of their choices. In so many different ways, some, some people, I think, have this idea, it's, it's kind of like the um, little boy named Billy, right? I mean, he was, he was a little boy, and I could probably just put like an exclamation point after that, and we would all know what I mean if we've had little boys like rambunctious and in and out and an exasperated mother who's just driving her crazy. And she said to him one day out of exasperation, Billy, how do you expect to ever get into heaven when you act like this? We thought for a minute, and he's like, well, I think I'll do this. He said, I'm going to run into heaven and out of heaven and into heaven and out of heaven. I'm going to slam the door each time I go through. And then finally someone's going to say, for heaven's sake, Billy, either get in or get out. And then I'm just going to walk right in. And that's how heaven's going to work for me. Maybe a bit crazy, but I've heard crazier, believe me, about how people think they're going to make it to heaven. But listen, like eternity is not a game. Now I give the people of Paul's day credit because like they understood what Paul was saying. They might not have known anything about Jesus beforehand, but he's taking them on a journey, and they've gone with him. We know that because it became this moment of decision, this time of commitment for what are we going to do with this knowledge, and we find their responses beginning in verse 32. Luke writes, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, the member of the, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Okay? And this becomes the predictable response every time the gospel is preached or taught. Because it could happen in a church service, or it could happen in a funeral service. Okay? It could happen in a coffee shop or it could happen in a hospital room or a living room. Some people are going to say no. Many people just put it off and said, I'll have to think about that for a while. And then some, like many of us in the past, have said yes to God's offer. Okay? I hope that today is your day to have the humility enough to say yes to God's offer. Your day to experience closeness to God for yourself. Or certainly as we travel through this series, if you have experienced and you do experience that closeness, then I hope that today is the day that you purposefully identify and pray for, and grow a relationship with one of the nuns in your life. Okay. So what's your choice, your choice, today? And how are you going to respond to God's offer now? If you need to embrace Jesus, or to re-embrace Jesus I would love for you to talk to myself or one of our leaders this morning before you leave. Okay? And we haven't done this for a while, but just another offer for you. I know some people, a group is a, just an intimidating thing. So after the service today, and Karen and I, we're going to leave. We're going to go get some lunch. We're going to come back here at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Just going to sit 
probably on the ledge there in front of the door when you first come into the lobby. And if you're struggling with faith, if you're struggling with life, if you are just wrestling with God on something, whether it be whether to accept Him or whether to uh, believe that He actually exists, or maybe even wrestling with, can He really free me and cleanse me of my sin? And you don't know the life I've lived, and you don't know the road I've traveled. Uh, we'll just be here. No agenda except for just to talk with you about questions regarding faith or whatever it is you need to talk about. So if you're don't like the crowd or intimidated, certainly I would love to talk to you before you leave this morning, but we'll be back, Karen and myself, just here at two o'clock. If you want to come and talk about life and faith, we'd love to just meet you and do that with you. Okay, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship, we're going to sing, and I just invite you to grapple with that and come down on the side of, yes, I believe in God, or God, I believe in you so much that I know that there are people in my life I need to share you with and let God identify them for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, everyone who's gathered here today. And not just those who've gathered here, but also, Father, for those who continue to watch online for new faces you're bringing back after so long. And yet, Father, it's all for a purpose, to worship you, to serve you, to engage you as you have called us to, to respond to you. May we respond in a way that brings you honor and that also honors just where we are in our journey of life today. I pray in Jesus' name.